0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: Happy Chinese New Year. Xin Nian Le. By the time you hear this episode, if it's sometime after January 25th, 2020, we will already have said goodbye to the Year of the Golden Pig and officially ushered in the year of the golden rat. And for the first time in tech buzz China history, we are going to do an annual review. It's a retrospective of sorts for 2019, with a few updates. If you want a more prospective view, that is, our predictions for 2020,
0: you're going to have to sign up for a new bi-weekly paid newsletter, Extra Buzz, which is long-form commentary, opinion, and analysis on China tech and meant to be a supplement to our podcast. Don't worry, it's only $2 a month, and with our current Chinese New Year's promotion, you get an entire year's worth of extra buzz for just $18.88 a year. That's 22% off. That's right, for the price of a hardcover book, you're going to get a year's worth of reading on China Tech that I'm pretty sure you won't find elsewhere. So, to sign up, just go to bit.ly slash techbuzzextrabuzz. That's bit.ly dot L-Y slash TechBuzz, buzz all lowercase.
1: Our first issue, by the way, which went out last Friday, was on the implications of some of the announcements made at WeChat's annual developer conference last week. If you want to know what Alan said about the responsibility of platforms, how WeChat aims to boost creative output with shorter content formats, and how Work WeChat diverges from Western enterprise communications tools like Slack, subscribe and read what we have to say. A little hint
0: on that last point. One tends to be designed for managing people and the other more for data and processes. It's a reflection of different working cultures and the type of content that we want to continue to provide here on the show and now in the Extra Buzz newsletter as well. It's definitely one of the great joys and benefits we have of being bilingual and bicultural. And we love sharing it with you. The economic team to China. Uh,
1: after whole night banking, I say I still want to do it. <laughs>
0: Hi everyone, we are Tech Buzz China by Pan Daily, powered by the Seneca Podcast Network by Sup China.
1: We are a bi-weekly podcast focused on giving you a peek into what's buzzing within the tech community in China.
0: We uncover and contextualize unique insights, perspectives, and takeaways on headline tech news that don't always make it into English language coverage so you can be smarter about the world of China tech. TechBuzz China is a part of Pandaily.com, an English language site that tells you everything about China's innovation. I'm one of your two co-hosts, Ray Ma.
1: And I'm your other co-host, Yingying Lu. We'd like to acknowledge our partners, Deal Street Asia and SupChina, the creator of the Sinica podcast network. In addition to TechBuzz, you can of course also find Sinica, which covers current affairs, Nui Voices and Ta for Ta on Women, the business oriented China Econ Talk, and the Tyson Seneca Business Brief from China's leading business magazine. If you wanted to get a first hand look at
0: China's tech scene but didn't know where to begin, check out Decode China. Pandaily's one-week immersion program into China's tech ecosystem. The latest installment, which involves visiting companies like Tencent, DD, and Ant Financial, as well as courses, workshops, and networking events, will take place in Beijing and Shenzhen from March 23rd to 29th. To learn more, visit decode.pandaily.com. And as a final note, if you enjoyed listening to our podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes or whatever other platform you use to get your podcast.
1: Okay, I have to confess, even though we call ourselves Tech Buzz China, most of our content really centers on Chinese internet companies with the occasional hardware business thrown in. So let's be clear, that's what this retrospective will primarily be about, China internet. And if we narrow it to Chinese internet businesses, then the word that many would use to describe the industry, at least when it comes to their core performance in domestic China in 2019, would probably be this. Unremarkable.
0: Unremarkable. Or, if we're being kinder and gentler, unsurprising. For the most part, companies that were already showing their strength in a big way in 2018 continue to do so. And those already on their way down? Well, They simply met their end, but a large part of that was because macro conditions weren't favorable to anyone. Chinese mobile internet usage has basically reached saturation. The easy growth of previous
1: years has disappeared. In 2018, for example, mobile internet users still grew by 4%, which isn't a lot, but nets out to be over 46 million users. For the first nine months of 2019, however, that growth was nearly imperceptible. We are talking about a tenth of a percentage point here. And even when you multiply that by the extra large base of 1.1 billion, the result is just barely over 2 million new mobile internet users. That's a major slowdown for a country that's used to double-digit million growth.
0: It's not like Chinese entrepreneurs and investors didn't know that. The death of the so-called population dividend, or Yunko Hongli, has been predicted for a few years now. You only need to know simple arithmetic and demographic trends to know it was coming. But still, this is the first year where it hit the industry really hard. And it wasn't just reflected in the number of new users either. The number of minutes an average user spent on mobile per day also increased by just a smidge from five hours and 41 minutes to six hours. That's a growth of just 5%.
1: For reference, the number quoted for the US is only about three hours because TV watching is still massive. But at already six hours a day, how much more could usage time in China grow? And that's why with both user growth and time spent plateauing last year, there is a general sense that you actually have to really focus on product development in the user experience now, instead of just burning money on distribution and user acquisition.
0: That's not to say that there aren't plenty of cash-burning businesses still, but that on the whole, investors are less willing to tolerate them. Whereas before you could easily make the argument that there are a ton of newbies or bai yonghu coming online using your product for the first time, so you have the opportunity to define a category for them and build a brand new habit, now you have more experienced users who are more discerning.
1: Less easily hoodwinked, in other words, still easy to manipulate with the right incentive. So it's not like subsidies are going away for good. That's just something Chinese users have come to expect. And if it's something that puzzles you, now is a great time to review our Tech Buzz episode from a year ago, at the start of the year of the golden pig. Right. In episode 38, Battle of the Red Packets, we went over how WeChat used
0: digital red pockets and leveraged existing social relationships to onboard millions of users onto its payments platform virtually overnight. But that was a special circumstance. Nowadays, the red pocket incentives are back to what they used to be, effectively coupons to acquire users or get them to spend more inside the product.
1: Which brings us to our first major bullet point of 2019 and a topic that we've done multiple episodes on this year, short video. You see, the app that paid for exclusive rights to this year's CCTV's annual New Year's Gala The most watched television program in the world, with nearly 1.2 billion viewers last year, is none other than the short video app Show, also simply known as KWAI, that's spelled K-W-A-I.
0: Remember earlier, we said that in 2019, the average mobile internet user time spent per day grew only by around 5%. That number, however, calculated on a monthly basis, would be 64%. if you are in the short video category. In that category, you probably have heard of TikTok, as well as its domestic China equivalent, Douyin, and their parent entity, ByteDance. No wonder then that from September 2018 to September 2019, in terms of time spent, the Tencent family of apps, which includes the ubiquitous WeChat, actually fell from 46% to 42%, and that translated into gains for ByteDance and others. About half to each, if you must know.
1: At TechBuzz, we covered ByteDance pretty early on, including its first hit app, Toutiao, known for personalizing the news through AI. We saw significantly less coverage on Kuaishou, which actually got its start much earlier than Douyin, aka TikTok, and began with a fundamentally different strategy. In fact, our episode 55 suggested that Kuaishou was the anti-TikTok or Douyin
0: I'd say we went much farther than just suggesting. I think we really proved our case. The two apps represent two different camps of internet entrepreneurship these days in China. They have different algorithms and KPIs and different business models, but all of these because they evolved from serving two different audiences.
1: I would say that even though their audiences have huge overlap now, I mean, they have to, now that Douyin is over 400 million DAU and Huaishou has been over 200 million since May, the apps still have a different look and feel because of this initial differentiation. And that differentiation is still very much the rural-urban divide, the same phenomenon that gave rise to a company like Pinduoduo.
0: Which brings us to our second point, the rise of the rural consumer that is a name by the way we're using for those people living in third tier and below cities in china if you must know that means not beijing not shanghai not hangzhou not any other city you see any regular coverage of so yeah smaller less urban cities. And unless you're literally tuning in for the first time to tech buzz or just starting to look at China tech, I'm sure you've heard of Pinduoduo, that is ticker PDD, the subject of our episode 17, zero to $23 billion in three years. Speaking of which, we should probably update that to say zero to $46 billion in five years. Basically, Pinduoduo built an e-commerce empire out of selling cheap goods to rural consumers in China in a fun way that took full advantage of the WeChat ecosystem, which is, by the way, a great deal for Tencent, one of its major investors.
1: Without going into detail on how it works, you should listen to our episode on it. It's one of the most popular. All you need to know is that Pinduoduo and others, including Xiao and Chututiao, sometimes together they're called PKQ, discovered the worth of the rural Chinese user and along the way found some intuitive and some unintuitive market characteristics.
0: Intuitively, the rural Chinese user tends to have a bit more free time than their urban counterparts. Also expected, they're a bit more price sensitive, so sometimes they're willing to jump through more hoops for better deals. What's unintuitive, however, is that just because they tend to make less money doesn't actually mean they have less money to spend, as many Chinese internet companies found out.
1: Yeah, there are a few factors contributing to this, but the overwhelming one is the price of real estate. Real estate in first and second tier cities in China is outrageous, and downtown Beijing is the same price as downtown San Francisco. For those of you who are interested, we did a pretty detailed analysis back in episode 20, when we tried to figure out whether startups are behind rising rents in Beijing. One of the companies we covered in there, by the way, Danke, just went public with a mediocre but not horrendous offering.
0: Some interesting facts in their prospectus, which we might go over sometime in our Extra Buzz newsletter. But the main takeaway is that for your average middle-class white-collar worker, housing has become so prohibitively expensive that your actual discretionary income isn't that much. Not fundamentally different, by the way, from what we see here in the San Francisco Bay Area where extreme housing prices means that a household making $117,000 a year
1: qualifies as quote-unquote low income. I know, crazy. Just goes to show, when considering who to sell to, don't just look at your customer's top line number. Try to figure out what their bottom line is. And for rural consumers in China, which usually refers to first and second tier city dwellers, Because real estate prices are often a fraction of what they are in Beijing and Shanghai. We're talking about less than one-sixth, maybe as low as a tenth, and they're often completely debt-free and even own a car. This means that potentially all their income, about $700 or so every month, can go to consumption. What's even less intuitive, though, is that despite the tremendous growth in China's transportation
0: and logistics networks and Decades of economic development, offline retail in rural China is still pretty crappy. You really only have to go outside of Beijing's Fifth Ring Road, meaning the outskirts of the city, to see for yourself. Again, those of you who are retail experts probably find this easy to understand, but today's shopping mall infrastructure in in America took decades to build, since 1950 or something like that. And so rural China, of course, is really, really far behind when it comes to providing a pleasant offline shopping environment.
1: I wouldn't actually say that's the part that's unintuitive. The dearth of aesthetically pleasing or well-designed offline shopping experiences is not a surprise. The surprise is the high price of the goods that are available. While groceries might be cheaper in rural areas, then that's only for locally grown foods, not for imported fruits or meats, Electronics are often not, not for the same quality anyway, which makes sense if you think about it. Since there's less density, there's less volume discounts available to the seller. Plus, the cost of transporting and holding inventory is expensive, and so all of that just gets passed on to the consumer.
0: There's also a lot of fraud, lots of dishonest sellers taking advantage of the less educated rural consumer and sometimes straight up selling fake goods, misrepresenting products, and other times not honoring warranties. Of course, there's plenty of fraud with online sellers as well, but the bigger platforms at least are more transparent to deal with, better than the hawker at the electronic stand that you're not gonna find next month. So in 2019, what we saw was that Everyone in e-commerce went for the
1: rural buyer
0: in a big way.
1: Many started doing so back in 2018, but it was in 2019 that the first batch of truly impressive results came in. Most companies experimented with a pinduoduo-like style of group buying, and when it came to the various shopping festivals in China, such as the now world-renowned Singles Day, you could see the power of the rural consumer. Alibaba, for example, said that of Hire's most popular consumer electronics products this year, over 60% of their orders came from third tier and below cities in China. Hire is a
0: mass market, middle class brand, so It's not like rural Chinese consumers are all of a sudden buying Nespresso machines or something like that. And while 60% is impressive, it's actually on par with the distribution of total mobile internet users in China. Just under 60% come from third tier and below cities. The main thing to note is that after all these years of development, rural China is growing into a real market force and the internet has accelerated that.
1: And there's so much room to grow, too. I mean, right now, the distribution of income and resources is nowhere near the actual distribution of geographic area or population. We've been referring to the urban and rural divide, but what does that look like numerically? Here's an easy way to remember it all. China has about 1.4 billion people, right? 400 million of those people live in first and second tier cities and the remaining 1 billion live in what we're calling rural China. It's not really all that rural because we're including nearly 300 third tier
0: and below cities in it. Many of those cities, by the way, have well over a million in population. And in addition to those 300 cities, there are 3,000 county seats, 40,000 townships, and over 660,000 villages, all spread out over 97% of the land area in China. So now, boom, 2019. Remember it as a year that these billion people became the focus of Chinese internet entrepreneurs and executives Everywhere.
1: Yeah, if 2018 was when it became the next thing, 2019 was when it became basically the only thing. The newfound purchasing power of the rural consumer, besides making possible the mega unicorn status of companies like Pindoduo and Kuaishou, also created many opportunities for new ways of interacting and selling to them. And this is where we circle back to short video apps who really scaled up last year, as we've already
0: mentioned. They contributed to two major happenings that again, have been building for a while, but really reached a crescendo last year. One was in the domestic market and the other was internationally. I like to think that these both happened because Chinese companies, besides YY that is, finally figured out how to get Gen Z and millennial users to create high quality, entertaining content at scale,
1: the thing that happened in the domestic market was the rise of live streaming e-commerce. Now, China was already the undisputed king of live streaming, as we covered in episode seven and later on in episode forty-three, which was wholly devoted to esports live streaming, which is a totally fascinating and ginormous industry as well. And Kuaishou and Alibaba had already built live streaming shopping functions, so it wasn't exactly new. But 2019 was the year it became mainstream and also very, very profitable.
0: Yeah. For the last two months of the year, especially after the success of another record-smashing Singles Day, that's $38 billion worth of goods sold Alibaba for those of you who missed it, all anyone ever talked about was live streaming e-commerce. It just made so much sense in so many ways. It was so much more interactive and interesting than looking at a webpage or watching an asynchronous video. And the live streamers knew how to entertain. Mostly Gen Zers or younger millennials, they have a great knack for memifying things. That is, making things into memes.
1: That's what the internet is, right? For making things go viral. And none figured out how to do it better than Austin Lee, Li Jiaqi, aka Kou Hong Ge or Lipstick Big Brother, who honed his presence selling L'Oreal Cosmetics at a counter offline before going into live streaming. While he didn't take first place on Singles Day, Another live streamer named Via did. She sold almost $400 million of goods in 2018, by the way. I'd say Austin was better at making himself into a trending topic.
0: And the point is, he's gotten so many fans now who watch him and trust his recommendations that he's able to negotiate rock bottom prices, even with major brands. In fact, when he found out that Lancome gave him slightly higher prices than they gave to arch rival Via, he openly declared that he would never work with the brand again. And don't worry, he now sells way more than
1: cosmetics,
0: even if that remains his main shtick.
1: Yeah, A-list movie stars are coming onto his show to promote their movies these days. Buy your movie ticket for a discount while the stars banter with the host. Thanks to over a decade of live streaming, as pioneered by YY.com, and also the recent rise of short video. There are now lots of talented hosts like Austin who are finding a new career in live streaming e-commerce. For brands, there is no doubt that this is where they have to be.
0: Remember how earlier we said short video was a category in which time spent shot up the most last year? Well, obviously all these live streamers being great at video, occupy some of the top spots in terms of fan count. On Douyin, Austin has over 37 million followers. On Kwai's show, he has 5.9 million. For more details, we really suggest you go and listen to episode 54 if you haven't already. We explain everything about China's wacky ecosystem of influencers,
1: KOLs, idols, and more there. While the domestic expansion of short video has been into e-commerce, with live streaming as an especially hot segment, these companies have also been experimenting abroad. And if you think about it, that makes sense. User-generated content is an asset-light business, and there are many countries now with sufficient smartphone and broadband penetration, thanks to Chinese manufacturing, where these models can now survive or even thrive.
0: In fact, short video might be the lowest barrier export of all because so much of its content translates well without even needing to be translated. We saw that initially when some Douyin content like the karma is a B-I-T-C-H, hashtag, went viral here in the West. Maybe the world is pretty flat after all. ByteDance would certainly agree. TikTok was the number one app downloaded last year on the iPhone and broke many other records as well. And it did all that without localizing its core product, believing
1: instead that the app is flexible enough to be accepted all over the globe. The overwhelming coverage given TikTok has obscured the bigger trend though, which is that it certainly isn't the only Chinese video app to try its hand overseas, and it's not the only one to succeed either. We covered YY and others' efforts in detail in episode 56, not just TikTok, a short history of Chinese short video abroad.
0: The moral of the story being... China Tech is now sophisticated and deep enough that there are actually multiple large players trying out different strategies and competing in foreign markets with each other at any given time. While at the end of the day, some of them are still affiliated with either Tencent or Alibaba, there is a handful that are strong enough In their own right to have the ambition to become global
1: powerhouses. The bulk of their attention is focused on Southeast Asia and India though, a trend that started at least five years ago. Which brings us to our last point. It's one that coincides nicely with our first one, of stagnation when it comes to new user growth within China. A slowing domestic market encourages companies to look to other sources of revenue, but to do so cautiously.
0: Yeah, remember when growth was easy and capital was even easier? Just two or three years ago, all those bike sharing companies and their unprofitable unit economics, not just raising money like crazy, but also expanding all over the globe. I mean, I just took a look at our episodes 15 and 16 on Ofo and Mobike, which were released not even a year and a half ago. They were already on the decline then, but are basically non-factors now. I mean,
1: Ofo denies being bankrupt, but at this point, I'm not sure anyone cares what it does. With total funding into tech companies down 55%, from $112 billion to $51 billion last year, and the number of deals down 36%, you kind of have to have a visible path to profitability, or at least some semblance of positive unit economics to get investment, which explains why there was a little bubble of investment into e-cigarettes last year, and which fell off sharply after new regulations prohibited online sales, all of which we covered in episode 45. Yes, I think that was a load of hot air, which we
0: said as much on the show, but probably could have been more confident in our assessment but this lack of easy money is also responsible for another slew of startup deaths recently in the previously well-regarded grocery e-commerce sector people are starting to figure out that it's really really hard to operate these things profitably and even cash-rich companies like alibaba are not just blindly throwing money at the problem anymore but instead trying a bunch of small experiments
1: As we explained on the show, it's one of those things that's for sure going to be big, but I don't believe anyone has discovered the winning format yet. This Wuhan coronavirus supposedly originated from a wet market, which still accounts for over 70% of Chinese grocery shopping.
0: Yeah, people have been clamoring to have those places be better regulated and cleaned up for a long time now. So I really hope that this is the last time we see this sort of thing happen, because it's really tragic and really scary. But I hope that, unlike the SARS epidemic of 17 years ago, China is in a much better place to deal with such disasters now. A lot of it, by the way, is due to internet companies, and many of them are doing some pretty helpful things this time around, and not taking advantage of the situation. So color me impressed. Well, On that somber but hopeful note, let's wrap up our review here of 2019.
1: In terms of numbers you have to remember about the year that just passed, there are probably only two of importance. One we mentioned at the very beginning and one at the very end. One, flat. Basically 0% growth when it came to mobile internet users and a 55% decline when it came to funding for tech companies.
0: Obviously, that meant a lot of business closures. Layoffs cutbacks, and a lot of anxiety and unease for many people. 996, or working 9am to 9pm six days a week, became a point of contention between employers and employees. That's episode 42 of TechBuzz, if you're interested. But one sector grew like weed despite all of these headwinds, and that is short video. We've done multiple episodes by now on both ByteDance's Douyin, aka TikTok, overseas, and its competitor, Kuaishou. But if there's one thing to take away from these two, it's that users are spending more and more time on them, and that this is definitely now a pretty mainstream form of entertainment in China, no longer just for the young or idle like a few years back.
1: But there are a few different ways to make money in these apps, and the main one to stand out in 2019 is e-commerce. You can already make money promoting goods via short video, But an even more direct way to do it is via live streaming, which is actually Kuaishou's main monetization method anyway. It's up against Alibaba though, who's already gotten into live streaming e-commerce in a big way. And of course, earlier this month, WeChat announced it would also make live streaming easier from its mini apps.
0: Lots of predictions we can make there, which we'll say for the newsletter. But something that's already happening is that this is a sector that's pretty eager to expand abroad. We've already dissected why we think that's the case, so we're not going to repeat it here. But suffice it to say, we think there's some true business logic to these strategies. And this is really different from the nuttiness a few years back, when easy money made entrepreneurs believe they are totally invincible.
1: Yeah, the capital winter this year really reinforced the fact that even if you are a high-flying unicorn, you can also die pretty quickly. You just have to run out of money. So operational excellence and sound business fundamentals became top of mind by the end of 2019. I mean, if even food delivery giant Meituan could manage to turn a profit while locked in a war against Alibaba, really everyone in a business that makes sense should be able to. For us,
0: we hope that this means China Tech matures even further, and that companies become more disciplined instead of just throwing money at top line growth. Sure, I mean, We've seen caution being thrown around here in Silicon Valley as well, but the spectacular fails of last year like WeWork is not really widely considered a Valley deal. So I don't actually think the fear is here nearly as much as it is in China. We are hopeful anyway, that the capital winter leads to higher quality businesses and more innovative business models, not less. What are your thoughts? Let us know. Okay, that's all for this week, folks. Thanks for listening. We really enjoyed putting this together and we are always open to any comments or suggestions. You can find us on Twitter at the Pandaily at TechBuzzChina, and my personal Twitter account is spelled R-U-I-M-A.
1: And my Twitter is spelled G-I-N-Y G-I-N-Y. Tech Buzz China by Pandaily is powered by the Seneca Podcast Network on SubChina. Pandaily.com is an English language site that tells you everything about China's innovation. Our producers are Taiwei Wei Chen and Kaiser Guo. Thank you for listening.